كلا إنها كلمة هو قائلها ومن ورائهم برزخ إلى يوم يبعثون إذا نفخ في الصور فلا أنساب بينهم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد uh, In our last uh, lesson we had covered the issue of the living and the dead uh, hearing one another or in fact the living speaking and the dead hearing and the conclusion that I had given was Allah knows best it is a gray area but it is possible for the dead to be aware of the presence of the living when they are outside of the qabr and Allah Azza wa Jal can allow this to happen but at the same time it is not something that is mutayaqin yaqini it's not something that is confirmed also it is something as Ibn Taymiyyah and others point out it is possible that sometimes the dead would not even be aware of the living even if we say they can hear the living there can be circumstances where the person is oblivious so we cannot base any Islamic ruling on that communication there can be no basis of any change in our relationship with the deceased in terms of visiting the deceased now today and next week we will cover what is perhaps the most relevant or practical much of what I've covered is theoretical and that's important it's a part of our Iman we appreciate that but today we're gonna begin and it's part one and part two the issue of benefiting the dead what can the living do to benefit the dead and of course this is where it becomes practical this is where people want to know what can I do to help the deceased and we begin by stating that this is, as you understand, a theological and a fiqhi issue, both together. It is both aqadi and fiqhi. It involves beliefs and it involves actions. And as for beliefs and aqidah, generally speaking, Ahl sunnah affirms some type of benefit to the dead and especially the more rationalist or pseudo-rationalist groups like the Mu'tazila, they deny this almost altogether. Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi, the famous commentator of Aqidah Tahawiyyah, he says, Ahl sunnah have agreed, this is no matter of theology, that the living can benefit the dead in two ways. This is by unanimous consensus. Firstly, the good deeds that the dead himself did while he was alive and it continues after he's died. And secondly, the living, making dua and istighfar and charity and hajj. Then Imam Ibn, Abdul, Ibn Abil Izz says, but Muhammad Ibn al-Hasan, the student of Abu Hanifa, did not allow hajj and he allowed the others. Then he goes on, and Ahl-Sunnah differed over other good deeds reaching the dead. The deeds that the body does, the amal badaniyyah, like fasting, like salah, like re reading Quran, and like dhikr. So, this great scholar of our theology says, look, there are certain things we all agree upon. Certain things, no controversy. And other things, there's controversy. What is the controversy? He gave examples. Fasting, salah, Quran, and dhikr. And he generically says, Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Ahad ibn Hanbal and the majority of the Salaf allowed the good deeds to reach them. And the famous position of the Shafi'i school and the Mali school is that it does not reach them 
end quote. I began with this introduction. We will unpack this over two lessons, inshallah. It will be a very detailed episode. As I promised you last time, inshallah, this will be the most exhaustive ever done in English language. Inshallah ta'ala, that is my goal. So, we have to go into a lot of detail. Today will be part one. And today what we're going to do is list the evidences from the Quran and Sunnah, primarily from the Sunnah, that allow gifting that, and what exactly specifically is mentioned. What did the Prophet explicitly mention? And then inshallah, next week we'll come back and we'll talk about that which was not mentioned. Okay? What do we do with that which is not mentioned based upon what is mentioned? So this is part one and part two, which means next week, inshallah, if Allah gives us life and health, you will have to know the information of this week. It's going to be a continuation. It's not an independent uh, lecture. Now, we said this is an issue of theology and fiqh. I'm not interested in theology that much. You should just know that the Mu'tazila school, they denied anything reaching the dead. And they, because they don't believe in hadith, so they said the Quran says that, وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى And the Quran says, وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وَزْرَ أُخْرَى And the Quran mentions other evidences that everybody will get their own good and bad. And so, because they don't accept hadith, and the Quran does not affirm that you can do things for the deceased, so they said there is no such thing. We're not really um, yani concerned that you should just know about this. Now, and by the way, it's very easy to respond to this group. And we'll respond to them, inshallah, uh, later on. Now, let us begin. Today's entire lecture will be, as far as I can tell, I have tried to be exhaustive. And if I fail, then it is my fail, but I've tried to be exhaustive. Every single explicit deed that is mentioned in the sunnah that can be done for the deceased. Okay? Allah knows if I am reached that exhaustive list or not and if anybody finds anything please inform me by next week and I will mention it and credit you that Fulan mentioned I wasn't able to find this he found this Jazakallah khair we are all students of knowledge uh, you know searching for uh, benefit so the first three things that are explicitly mentioned are known to all of you it is the most authentic hadith it is the hadith that is always mentioned by our fundraisers every single time they're on the stage. That this is the first thing they begin with, mashallah, tabarakallah. And because our fundraisers quote these hadith all the time, as I say, even the average Muslim can fundraise from the text because they have been memorized by our famous fundraisers, mashallah, tabarakallah. And what is this hadith, Brother Azhar? What is the hadith? Yes. Exactly, the three things that follow Sadaqa Jariya Child that prays for you That is Sadaqa Jariya Put you on the spot <laughs> It's alright It's alright, I put you on the spot Knowledge that is benefited from Okay, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim It is authentic إِذَا مَا تَبْنُ آدَم When the son of Adam dies in عَمَلُهُ all of his deeds stop. Illa min thalath. Okay, this hadith is always used. And also, what is really important about this hadith, as we will see the other hadith, people are coming and asking the Prophet, Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? This hadith, what is the difference? He's telling us, He's presenting us. Big difference. This means what is mentioned in this hadith occupies a higher status because he is the one offering, sallallahu alayhi wa What can you do for the deceased? This is what you can do. 
The other traditions, as we're going to see, by and large, people are coming and asking him, can I do this? Can I do that? How about this? And then he says, but here he is saying, when the son of Adam dies, son here, son or daughter, all of his deeds come to an end except for three. Number one, sadaqa jariya. Number two, ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. Number three, waladun salihun yad'u lahu. Okay, let's talk about each of these things briefly before we move on. We all know what they are, but again, just for our benefit. Sadaqa jariya. Charity, that is jariya. Jariya means running. Jariya means ongoing. Okay? Aynun jariya. Fiha aynun jariya. Jariya here means running. And a young girl, like a four, five, six-year-old girl in Arabic is called jariya because for some reason, don't ask me why, they thought boys are quiet sitting in the corner and girls are, mashallah, running everywhere around the house. Don't ask me why. But the Arabs would call a little girl because she's always running everywhere. To be honest, maybe because they were stricter with the boys wanting them to have whatever. You know, maybe this their culture. So a little girl in Arabic is called jariya. Because he's always running over, being spoiled and whatnot. MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. So, sadaqa jariya. A sadaqa that is running. In English, we call it perpetual charity. Okay? What is a perpetual charity? Any charity that is more than a one-off. You do it and it remains after you have done it. So, when you give somebody food to eat, this is a one-off charity. When you give somebody a clothes to wear, this is one-off charity. But as we all know, when you build a masjid, sadaqa jariya. As long as people are coming to the masjid, the sadaqa jariya. You build an orphanage, this is sadaqa jariya. We all know. It's something that is lasting after you have initially done it. It's not a one-off. So this is sadaqa jariya. Its benefit continues, especially after you die, then that's the whole point you're going to be benefiting after it when you are in the grave. Number two, ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. Knowledge that people benefit from. The smallest bit to the largest bit. Anyone who benefits from a knowledge that you have benefited this person with, and you are in the qabr, you are dead, and somebody benefited from your knowledge then you will be getting that ajr and your body is in the qabr. Ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. So whether you taught somebody how to pray, your children how to pray, and now they are praying and you are in the qabr, every time they pray, you will get their reward because you taught them. You taught a new convert how to read the Qur'an. You did this, you did that. And the greatest ilm, the great ulama that have come and have left their legacies every time we mention them. Imam Abu Hanifa said this, Imam Shafi'i said this, then they are getting ajr and they are long gone. And subhanallah, what really boggles my mind, people like Imam al-Bukhari, for example, you know, you cannot give an Islamic lecture without quoting Imam al-Bukhari. It's almost impossible. And he is one man. He lived 60 plus years. And yet the legacy of these types of people, because he gave his khidmah to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, he traveled the world wanting to do khidmah to our Prophet ﷺ, sunnah and seerah. And the barakah that came from his life, subhanallah, every khutbah, every Islamic lecture, from aqidah to fiqh to tafsir to everything, Bukhari narrated. Right? Or Imam Muslim or so-and-so. Imagine all of that great blessings that these people of knowledge leave behind. We ask Allah Azza wa to make our hearts sincere and pure whenever we preach and teach so that all that legacy we leave behind will insha'Allah ta'ala be of benefit to us. So, ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. Now, 
take this as a subset now, included in ilm is calling others to Islam or making others who are not that religious, making them religious, i.e. the term da'wah that we call it, okay? Giving da'wah is included in this category. And this is something that is very explicit as well. And I'm putting it under category. So one, two, and three, we said number one is sadaqah jari, number two is ilmun yutafa'u bihi. You can say there's also under this, ilmun yutafa'u bihi, giving da'wah to others. Some ulama have made it a separate category, but in reality it is the same category. When you give da'wah, what are you doing? You are teaching ilm. And ilm here doesn't mean advanced knowledge. You can just teach the akhlaq of Islam through your manners. Your colleagues can see the beauty of Islam through you. That is ilm. Others are benefiting. Our Prophet said, Hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Man da'a ila huda. Whoever calls people to a guidance, Muslim or non-Muslim, somebody's not praying, and your environment, your mannerisms, your akhlaq, or your preaching caused them to pray. Man da'a ila huda. Or the person was not even a Muslim, and you gave him da'wah to become a Muslim. All of this is included. Whoever calls to guidance shall get the reward of all who follow him without diminishing either's reward. Neither will get lesser reward just because one followed the other. This is Allah Azza wa Jal. He doesn't have to split any reward. So, if you call somebody to pray, you have a Muslim colleague at work, not very religious, and you become friends, you invite them out bit by bit. Yeah, okay, let's pray Jum'ah together, let's go. And they become more religious, inshallah, because of your akhlaq and manners. Every single salah that this person does, Allah will bless you with that reward. And the one who prays will get 100% of his own reward as well. No stinginess. Allah is not stingy. Allah is kareem. Allah is not bakhil. So, man da'a ila huda. This will be included. And therefore, when the person dies, the first person, the second person's reward will continue to go back. Another hadith that also proves this. Man sanna fil islami sunnatan hasanatan. Whoever introduces into Islam a precedent that is good shall be rewarded with all those who follow that precedent until the day of judgment. And whoever introduces an evil shall be given the sin of all those who did that evil until the day of judgment. And the context of this hadith clarifies what our Prophet ﷺ is saying. The Prophet ﷺ once was sitting in a, a gathering of the Sahaba and a new group of converts came. The Bedouins, the, the Waf, the delegations, in the year of delegations. And the Prophet saw they were so poor, their bodies were thin, they had clothes that were barely covering their awrah, and he felt a lot of pity for them. So he said, who will give sadaqah to this group? And it was maybe a time of drought or difficulty, not one sahabi moved, nobody. Who will give sadaqah? Second time, no one. Who will give sadaqah? At that, one of the Sahaba went, stood up, went back home, and brought small amount. Said, "Ya Rasulullah, this is all I have. Some, some dates, whatever." When this man came and did this, another Sahabi went home, brought something. Then a third, then a fourth, until finally, what happened? There was enough to feed and clothe these people. Then our Prophet ﷺ said, "Man sanna fil Islami sunnatan." Hasana. You know that this man who began the chain reaction, 
Everybody was awkward, was quiet. Everybody was not able to, to, to give. So by the way, fundraisers, don't feel bad when you're saying, who's going to give 10,000? Silence. Ha, huh, the first hand. Silence. You're not the first, you won't be the last. The Prophet himself, who shall give? Silence. It's human nature. It's difficult to coax people to give. It's human nature. But when the first person gave, what happened? It's human nature as well. It just breaks the ice, opens the door. And the expert fundraisers knows we have the honor of having the premier fundraiser in all of North America, mashallah, tabarakallah, in our, in our audience, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, so I should say you are the premier student of the premier fundraiser. Imam Siraj is the Sheikh Shuyukh in this regard, but you are the Tilmid, mashallah, tabarakallah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah give us all ikhlas. Anyway, so the point being that the person who began the fundraising, right, the, the, the giving of the funds, not the fundraiser, the person who began the giving of the funds, what did he do? This is when he said this hadith, by the way. This man began the option of giving, the feeling of giving. And he shall get the reward of all those because he sparked something in them, right? And that's why at any fundraiser, it's useful to be the first to give. Because you want to get the reward of all the rest of them. The problem comes our fundraisers begin with these obnoxiously large numbers. You know what I'm saying? That's the problem. If only they began with something we can reach. Maybe we can help out. But when he begins with 100,000, we say, Akhi, wait till my turn comes. What can I do? Anyway, alhamdulillah. Enough our teasing our, our person. Alhamdulillah. Anyway, the point being that category two is ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. Uh, category three, waladun salihun yad'u lahu. A righteous child making dua for him. Now, question. Why righteous? Why does this hadith mention waladun salih? Why righteous child? Response is because this goes back to the parent himself. The parent himself or herself, both are included, male or female, mother or father. The reason why piety is mentioned here is because the point is being given the mother, the father invested the time, the effort, the tarbiyah. The mother, the father helped in this piety. Now it does not mean that if the father was not able to, the mother was not able to, that there's no benefit. We're going to come to this. Any dua is a benefit to any deceased. But there's no question that when the parent was involved in the tarbiyah and the parent affected by Allah's blessings, the piety, that is a lifelong effort. So now that lifelong effort is going to pay off. Now that the parent has deceased and moved on, so now that effort will pay off. That's why waladun salihun yad'u lahu. And this also shows as well the general rule of Islam that piety overall has an impact on your dua anyway. This is something well known. We don't even need any evidence for it. The more muttaqi the person is, the more stronger his dua. Correct? We all know this. This is also being reinforced here. The righteous child is going to have a bigger impact on the parents than a child that is not as uh, righteous. Now, so these are three things that are, uh, we begin our entire lecture today with these three things. Now, before I go on, question comes here. So the processor mentioned these three things. Okay. If you think about it, if you really think about it, these three are really just one. In reality, these three go under one. Under one. And what is that? Sadaqa jariya. All three of these things are a type of sadaqa jariya. 
But the Prophet is mentioning point two and three to make those two incentives in and of themselves. Okay? What is knowledge that people benefit from? It is your sadaqa jariya that is not monetary. It is your knowledge of the brain. It is your sadaqa jariya of the mind or of the body, your akhlaq. The impact you've had is ongoing charity. The child that you raised, this is your tarbiyah. It's also your effort over here. Now, another key point here. These three that I mentioned have nothing to do with the issue of gifting one's good deeds to the dead. That hasn't even begun yet. This is simply things that the deceased can benefit from after his or her life. Right now in these three, the gifting of a good deed to the deceased is not coming in. You understand this point? The, 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 the controversy is إِصَالُ الثَّوَابِ إِلَى الْمَيِّتِ or إِهْدَاءُ الثَّوَابِ إِلَى الْمَيِّتِ This is a controversy in the books of fiqh and theology. What can you gift? These three are not gifts. These three are continuations of what? Of your own amal. Right? They are continuations of what you yourself have done. And therefore, we can actually refute the Mu'tazila group by saying, when Allah says, وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى In fact, these three things are his own amal. They will be benefiting him in the qabr. It's not disconnected at all. You have done something in your life. And by the way, before I move on, yes, we're talking about the barzakh from a point of view of just knowledge and whatnot. But my dear brothers and sisters, what's the purpose of that knowledge if it doesn't impact our lifestyles? I want myself and all of you to think about these three categories for ourselves. What's the purpose of these lectures if they don't impact our own philosophy and paradigm? When we are in the qabr, we want all of these three things to be giving our Investments need to pay off. This is the time to invest, dear Muslim men and women. This is the time. These are the three things we're investing in. We want to strike it rich in the qabr. Now is the time we invest in these three things. Sadaqa jariya. Ilmun yuntafa'u bihi. Awaladan salihun yad'u lahu. So these are continuations of one's own good deeds. Now, we can add to this one other thing that is mentioned in one hadith. I've already mentioned it before. Number four. Number four. And it's already been mentioned before. And that is, ribat fi sabilillahi azza wa jal. Ribat fi sabilillah. Ribat, the murabit, is the one who technically is guarding the borders of the ummah. And it's a very difficult, a very lonely, very boring job, but also very dangerous. Okay? In those days when you had to have active borders, right? There's not even active warfare going on. You just have to stand guard. And there's going to be battalions, contingents at the very peripheries, far from civilization, far from family and home. And it's very common you're just sitting there for months or years with nothing going on and then maybe some action or whatever. It's not easy to do. And our Prophet said that the one who does ribat and dies in that state. We already mentioned one thing that's going to happen. He shall be safe from the fitna of qabr. And in another hadith, actually the same one, not that, sorry, the same one. The Prophet said, and his deed will continue to be written for him until judgment day. In other words, this is another type of sadaqa jariyah. And because it's explicitly mentioned, I made it category four. Okay? In reality, it is the same sadaqa jariyah. That the Prophet is saying, that good deed will not stop with his death. Even if he dies a natural death, not a shaheed. Even if he dies a natural death at the post, guarding the ummah. 
then that natural death will not stop the thawab coming in and he will continue to be rewarded until judgment day. So this is point number four. That is a continuation of one's own good deeds. Okay, move on now. Point number five. It's not still isadu thawab ilal mayyit, but we're getting there. This is the interim now. Point number five. Five A and B. They're really two different things. I made them into one. Most people separate them, but in reality, it's one thing. 5A, dua. 5B, istighfar. A dua wal istighfar lil mayyit. Now, this is still not isalu thawab. Why is it not isalu thawab? Because you're not gifting a good deed. What are you doing? You're asking Allah for something. And that is why this is not a controversial category at all. No ikhtilaf. Because, so as of yet, what we've said, there's no controversy. Because you're not gifting a deed. You're simply asking Allah to forgive. Asking Allah to bless, that is not giving your own good deed up. As of yet, no controversy. Dua and istighfar. And one can also say, category three, dua of the son, and category five, dua and istighfar, are kind of overlapping, except that we now make it broad. Category five is any believer for any believer. Whereas category three is dua of the child is going to be the most effective dua, right? You understand why? I don't need to explain. The child's dua that the parents have raised to be pious is not the same as a stranger's dua. So we have a separate category and a separate hadith. As for category five, A and B, dua and istighfar, then we have numerous evidences from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah. And from the Qur'an, who can tell me any verse from the Qur'an that is evidence for this? Who can tell me? Any verse? Yes, this is good. What else? This is a very explicit verse, which is probably the most explicit. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِن بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا those who come after the Ansar and the Muhajirun. Those who come after the Ansar and the Muhajirun. They say, رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ Oh Allah, forgive us and forgive our brethren who have come before us. Meaning the ones who have died. Forgive our brethren that have gone on. The Muhajirun, the Ansar, and all of the believers that have gone on. This ayah is explicit dua for the deceased. And of course, there's no controversies. Right? I'm just saying though, if anybody asks you, what's the evidence? The most explicit evidence is this one in the Quran. Allah is telling us, make dua for all the Muslims from before you up until the time of the Sahaba. And as well, we have so many evidences from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Of them is the Prophet ﷺ going to Baqi' making dua for the deceased. Of them is praying for the deceased in the janazah itself. In fact, what is the Salatul Janazah except dua for the deceased? What is the purpose of Salatul Janazah except making dua for the deceased? And these duas should be memorized and utilized and if you don't memorize the Arabic, at least do something yani, equivalent in English. These are the most powerful du'as. Uh, the one that we should memorize, Allahumma ghfir hayyina wa mayyitina. Oh Allah, forgive our living and our dead. Wa saghirina wa kabirina. Our young and our old. Wa dhakarina wa unthana. And our male and our female. Wa shahidina wa ghaibina. 
and those that are present and those that are absent. Allahumma man ahyaytahu minna fa'ahyihi ala al-Islam. O Allah, whoever you cause to live amongst us, let him live in Islam. Waman tawafaytahu minna. And whoever dies amongst us, then make him die upon Iman. O Allah, la tahrimna ajrahu wa la tudillana ba'dahu. Do not deprive us of the good that he has done. The ajr that we have from him. Now our scholars have said, what ajr is the process I'm talking about? Our, the the shurah, the commentators say a number of things. Of them, the legacy, the positive he has left behind. Of them, the ajr of making dua for him and attending his janazah. Oh Allah, allow us to benefit as well for praying for him. And do not misguide us after him. Also, it is narrated that the Prophet once a, 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 a janazah was prayed and he said, Allahumma ghfir lahu. Warhamhu, you all know this. Wa'afihi wa'fu anhu. And afihi and afu anhu basically means protect him and uh, make sure that nothing harms him. Wa'afihi wa'fu anhu. Wa'akrim nuzulahu. And of Allah, honor the place that he is in. The place that he is in, make it good for him, meaning the qabr. Wa'akrim nuzulahu. Wa'wasi' mudkhalahu. And make the the grave that he's in, a vast place. Make the place he has been entered into a vast place. And wash him, O oh Allah, with water and cold water and with ice. It's a metaphorical thing. Wash him with pure and clean water. And O oh Allah, cleanse him of his sins like a white garment is cleansed of any stain. Why a white garment? Because the white garment shows the stain more than anything else. You know, If I have a dark cloth, maybe the stain can go away. But a white cloth, the smallest thing is there. So when you have a white cloth, you will clean it extra. So the Prophet is saying, O oh Allah, cleanse our mayyit like a white garment is cleansed from any stain on it. And, O oh Allah, وَأَبْدِلْهُ دَارًا خَيْرًا مِنْ دَارِهِ وَأَهْلًا خَيْرًا مِنْ أَهْلِهِ وَزَوْجًا خَيْرًا مِنْ زَوْجِهِ So somebody is saying, how can I make dua for the deceased that I'm his you know, son or cousin and we're making dua, may he get a better son or cousin than me? No. Ahl here doesn't mean give him a better son than me. He only has one son or two sons. He's not going to get a new son in the qabr. That's not going to happen here. What does it mean? Ahl better than our uh, the Ahl here. His companions over there, the malaika. That's what we're making dua for. The people he's around, right, should be better than they were over here. The malaik are better than us. This is the dua over here. That, oh Allah, the companions that he should have now are better than the companions over here. This is the dua that is being uh, made. And, oh Allah, adkhilhu al-jannah waqihi fitnat al-qabri wa adab al-nar. Make him to enter jannah and cause him to be protected from the fitna of the qabr and adab al-nar. Now, the reason I translated these duas all too often we zoom over them, we don't know what they mean. So I just wanted to translate for you some of these du'as so that we know what the du'a is. And I reiterate, when you stand in janazah and you pray over the deceased, if you have not memorized these du'as in Arabic, it is no problem to say them in English or in Urdu or in Swahili or in whatever language. The du'a doesn't need to be in Arabic. The Qur'an must be in Arabic. The du'a can be in any language. So if you haven't memorized this du'a in Arabic, say it in English, the, memory, the, the gist of what I've said. And if you haven't memorized the order, no big deal. It's a dua from the heart. Oh Allah, make his grave vast. Oh Allah, bless him. Oh Allah, forgive him. This is what needs to be done. Hadith in Abu Dawood, our Prophet sallallahu said, when you pray for the deceased, 
Pray with sincerity. Pray with ikhlas. Why? Because you will need it when it's your turn. As you do unto others, people will be done unto you, right? Hadith also in Abu Dawood, that when the process, and this is, this is for the Salat al-Janaz. The other hadith I'm going to quote you, they were in the Qabr. I'm not in the Qabr, in the graveyard, in Baqiyah. And after they buried the person, the Prophet ﷺ said, now is the time to make dua to Allah, to make him firm. Now is the time to make dua. So again, all of these are evidences. We make dua for the deceased. Now is the time to ask him for thabat, for afiyah, because now he is being asked by the angels. So we make dua for the deceased at any time, and in particular at two occasions. Number one, in the janazah, salatul janazah, and number two, right after dafin. These are the two extra special encouraged places to make dua. And any time other than this, you make dua. There is no restriction. But especially in those, these two, we make special uh, dua. And it is mentioned, uh, hadith is in Abu Huraira narrated in the Muslim Imam Ahmed, it is mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise the ranks of a rajul salih in Jannah. After his death, obviously. The man will say, Ya Rabb, where is this coming from? What have I done that I'm be getting an upgrade now? Ya Rabb, where is this coming from? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, Bistighfari waladika laka. Because your child is asking Allah's forgiveness for you. Okay? So, the istighfar of the child for the parent can potentially raise their ranks in Jannah and the parent will be asking, where is this from? And Allah will say, this is your child making dua for you. So now that is raising your uh, maqam. So we have here then the five things, dua and istighfar. I put them, uh, 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 you know, uh, two separate things, or five A and B. In reality, dua and istighfar are related as we know because istighfar is a category of dua. Right? What is dua for the deceased? Dua for the deceased, you ask anything that is needed by the deceased. The hadith mentions so many of them. Make his qabr vast. Make his qabr, in another hadith, lightened, in light. Nawwir qabrahu. Okay? What else, what else can we ask for the deceased? Make his qabr akrim nuzulahu. Make it rawdatum riyadil jannah. Make it one of the gardens of paradise. Right? What else can we ask? Companionship, good companionship, give him good angels. What else can we ask? Increase rate place in Jannah. All of this is dua for the deceased. We can also, by the way, ask about the judgment day. Oh Allah, shelter him under your shade. Oh Allah, uh, make his scales heavy. All of this is dua. And in particular, the most important dua is istighfar. And that is what? Oh Allah, forgive his sins. Oh Allah, cleanse him the way that a white cloth is cleansed. In another hadith, O oh Allah, substitute his sins with good deeds. This is a hadith for the deceased as well. O oh Allah, the sins that he's done, don't just forgive them. Convert them into good deeds. This is a dua that is istighfar. So dua and istighfar are things that are mentioned uh, you know, separately, but they really are category one and two. They're the same thing, istighfar. Every istighfar is a type of dua. Not every dua is a type of istighfar, right? So it's broad and Venn diagrams, broad and, and smaller. Now, another hadith that mentions dua and istighfar, 
And it also mentions other things, but these other things are not isal al-thawab. There are advice for the child after the parents die. That Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, sorry, not Abu Sa'id, Abu Asyad uh, mentions, we were sitting with the Prophet ﷺ when one of the Banu Salama tribe arrived. The Banu Salama were the tribe that prays at Masjid Qiblatayn. The famous Masjid Qiblatayn, that is where the Banu Salama used to live. And the Qiblatayn Masjid was their masjid, by the way. We call it Masjid Qiblatayn. It was called the Masjid al Banu Salama. And it, as you know what happened over there, Salat al-Asr, they began in one direction and then they switched in the middle of it. And this happened for the Banu Salama tribe, not the Prophet ﷺ. He was, in Medi- he was in the center of the town. The Banu Salama tribe flipped and they went 180 degrees. So the Banu Salama tribe, one of them came and he said that, O Messenger of Allah, is there anything I can do for my parents now that they have died? Anything that I can do for their birr, to be a good son or a good daughter, what is remaining for me? Is there anything I can do? The Prophet said, Naam, yes. And he mentioned five things. Okay? So, make a note of these five things or write them down. He mentioned five things. Number one, making dua for them. Number two, istighfar for them. As we said, du'a and istighfar are broad and, and, and specific. Number three, fulfilling the oaths and covenants that they had after them. If they have a wasiyah, if they have a treaty, if they have anything that they told you to do, now that they're gone, you have to continue doing this. And uh, number four, visiting the relatives that you would not have done except with them. Silatul Rahim that was done with them. You know, we all have, you know, people that are our relatives, uh, yani, that we don't have a relationship with them, but our parents did. When the parents move on, the relatives are still there. To visit those relatives that the parents kept in touch with for the sake of the parents. And then number five, similar to that, and to be generous with their friends. Now, the question here, by the way, was not about isalu thawab. The question is, what can I do to be a good son and daughter? Birr. The question is about my duties as a son or daughter. What can I do now that the parent is out of the picture? So this is still not isalu thawab. That's another, we're going to come to that right now. We're talking about what should a good loving son or daughter do once the parents have moved on or either of the parents have moved on. The, the Prophet gave five things. Number one, you make dua for them. Number two, istighfar. We said that's really A and B, same thing. Number three, whatever promise or, or you know, put the thing they put on you or amana or something, you have to follow that. They are gone, but you are being a good son or daughter by obeying them even in their death. Number four and five is essentially their circle of friends and relatives. You keep it up, okay? You keep it up. So they all had friends. They all had acquaintances. And you know, we all know they're a different age group than us. We don't have much in common with them. But now that the parents are out of the picture, we should make it a point to go visit those people. Now, one of my teachers remarked at this, that it's a beautiful uh, nukta, beautiful uh, point of, of, of benefit here. Why? Why? What's going to happen if you visit some person 50, 40 years older than you, you have nothing in common, there's no conversations you had with them, right? Now you go visit, what's the benefit? You tell me, what will be the only topic of conversation? The deceased. Because that's the one thing in common, correct? Right? 
And what will happen when the deceased is mentioned over and over and over again? Istighfar, dua, and what else? Psychologically. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody. What's going to happen psychologically? The heart is going to feel comfort and softness as well. The love will be renewed. And subhanAllah, this is so true. So true, right? When you visit someone whom you have nothing in common with except a deceased, all you do is you talk about the deceased, you find out stories about the deceased that you didn't know, right? Because that's the whole topic of conversation, okay? Your heart becomes soft, and then you leave renewed with your love, your iman, and that's why as well, by the way, and again, all of this is not directly related, but this is the point of benefit. That subhanAllah, one of the things that we are told when the person passes away, we only mention good, we don't mention bad. And this is something even non-Muslims generally observe. It's something in our fitrah. Once the deceased, yani once the person has left this world, khalas, whatever happened that is not the best positive, let it be. Now you concentrate on the positive, on the good things. So when you go visit, what's going to happen? All of these positives will come. What's going to happen? Your heart, your love, your tenderness, your mercy, your memories. What's going to happen? Your own dua will be more sincere. Your istighfar, everything. So subhanAllah, this beautiful, beautiful point, our Prophet is telling us some psychological tactics we can use to increase in our uh, uh, tenderness for those that have moved on. Jayid. Now, these are five we have mentioned. Now we move on to the first issue of Isalu Thawab ila al-Mayyid. In reality, none of these five is actually gifting our own good deed. Number five, Sadaqah. Sadaqah on behalf of the deceased. Sadaqah on behalf of the deceased. There are numerous in. Uh, evidences that indicate that sadaqah can be given on behalf of the deceased let's mention some of them and these are the more famous ones and because I'm trying to be exhaustive I've actually compiled a number of them that are useful for us Abu Huraira narrated that a man came to the Prophet and said Ya Rasulullah my father passed away and did not write a will. And he has left behind good money. Money is there, no will. If I give sadaqah on his behalf, will it be kafara for him? Will he get the thawab basically? Even though he asked, will it be kafara? means it's going to be a good deed for him. And the Prophet said, yes. Hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Yes. Now, this hadith in and of itself does not mention Isalu thawab ila al-mayyit. Why? Who can tell me why? Exactly. Whose money are we talking about? The money of the deceased. The money of the deceased. So this hadith is saying, the father is leaving some money behind, and the son is saying, from that money, I want to give and reward my father. Is that possible? Okay. Technically, it is the deceased money. And the Prophet said, yes, uh, he will get the reward. However, other ahadith broaden it. So, no problem there. Aisha narrates, a man came to the Prophet and said, my mother passed away suddenly. It wasn't expected. She wasn't sick. She just passed away suddenly, a sudden death. And I feel if she had lived, 
she would have given some charity, some cause, something. I know there, I feel. This is very explicit now. Who's the sadaqah coming from? The son. Will she get the ajr if I give the sadaqah? This is very explicit, right? Will she get the ajr if I give sadaqah on her behalf? And the Prophet said, Naam, yes. And the hadith is in Sahih Bukhari. So this is very explicit now. This is what we're looking for. We're waiting for this phrase. We finally come across it. The thawab goes to someone and the deed is from someone else. Okay? So this hadith is in Sahih Bukhari, as authentic as the sun and as bright as the sun, and it is something that we are looking for. In another instance, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. This is a famous Sahabi, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. You should all know he was the leader of the Ansar uh, at the time of the death of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, the Ansar had essentially nominated him to be the Khalifa. And the day the Prophet passed away, and Abu Bakr and Umar then went to the Saqif of the Bani Sa'ida, and the uh, back and forth took place. Sa'id ibn Ubadah was that person. And eventually he left, and his story is well known, and I have given a whole lecture about Sa'id ibn Ubadah. He was the leader of the Ansar, and very, very respected in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Then this is the reality of human nature. Politics happened and politics sour up relationships and things happened with him and the other sahaba, but that does not diminish his status. That's a whole different issue. You can have, you don't have to get along with someone and your iman is still strong. And Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, there were issues and it was awkward and he just left and he left to Sham and he passed away an interesting death as well. I talked about his life over there. That's Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Anyway, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, his mother was an Ansariya lady. She embraced Islam and she died in the lifetime of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the so Saad came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and said, "Ya Rasulullah, my mother passed away, and I wasn't here when she passed away. I was on a journey. I just came back. She and I heard the story. She has passed away. If I give sadaqah on her behalf, will it benefit her? Again, very explicit." So the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. So Sa'ad said, I ask you to bear witness that I give my garden, Al-Mikhraf, as a charity in her name. They would name their gardens as they would name their animals. They had names for gardens as they would, and houses. As you know, this is something cultural back then. So he had a garden called Mikhraf. And he said, I gift my garden Mikhraf, Mikhraf in her name. This hadith is in Sahih Bukhari. Now, this hadith opens up Another beautiful facet, and that is two birds with one stone. Sadaqa jariya for the deceased. This is something that we're now gaining from this hadith. Okay, this is sadaqa jariya that wasn't done by the living when they were alive. This is sadaqa jariya done for the living, sorry, for the deceased by the living, and the Prophet explicitly allowed it. So we now gain from this hadith, one of the things we should do and we can do is to create a sadaqa jariya for the deceased. And this is also uh, mentioned in the um, uh, incident of Umar al-Khattab as well. And this is, by the way, uh, another tangent here very briefly. The concept of a waqf or endowment is something that is coming from Islam. And then other civilizations adopted it. Waqf for endowment is very interesting because what a person does, he goes, This is waqf and I don't own it anywhere. Who, who owns it? Technically, nobody. 
That's a very interesting concept. It is not owned by a person. It is a non-profit. And the profits will go to whoever the waqif, whoever the one who does the waqf, assigns it to. It's a very interesting concept. And it was initiated by our Prophet The way that it exists now, it was not done by any other civilization. And then the West came across this when they first in the Crusades went to Muslim lands and they saw how are these institutions running through awqaf. Because um, this is a tangent, not related to the Barzakh issue, but just because it's so relevant and beneficial. And it's very true to say, my dear brothers and sisters, the destruction of the awqaf was one of the causes of the intellectual decline of the ummah. Very true to say this. When the colonizers came, one of the things they did, they destroyed the awqaf. And when you destroy the awqaf, many things happen. And of them, the scholarship of the ummah, the independence of the ummah, declines. Because what did the awqaf do once upon a time? The awqaf financed the madrasas and the ulama and the teachers of those madrasas. And this gives us very vaguely the notion of tenureship that we now have in the Western institutions. Why does the West, I'm a professor by training, so I have to get into this here a little bit, right? Why does the West value tenureship? What does tenureship do? In academia, what does tenureship do? Independence, freedom. No one can criticize me for what I have to say now. My research is not tied to anyone higher than me. I've proven that I'm an independent researcher. I got tenureship. Now that I have tenureship, now I can present findings that might be controversial. It gives you bravery, courage. It gives you independence. Now, believe it or not, there was a type of tenureship and a type of concept. I'm not saying it is exactly the same. It's not. But the kernels are found in Islamic lands. Without any exaggeration, if you were a bright, smart, intelligent, you know, uh, young person, you wanted to dedicate your life to Islamic studies, you would find a seminary. The seminary would pay you a stipend as a student, enough to get by, student stipend. You would graduate, you would excel, you would then eventually become a low teacher, basically. You would get a stipend from the uqaf, then you rise up, then you become the sheikh of the madrasa. And throughout all of this, there is no person writing you a check. You have an independent waqf that is taking care of you, right? What does this do? First and foremost, bright minds come because the fact of the matter is money talks, right? One of the main reasons, and again, I, I'm total tangent. I know you guys didn't come for this talk, but I have to say this because I have been on both sides of this aisle and conversation and all multiple sides as engineer and as person of Islamic knowledge, as a student at Medina, and now alhamdulillah somebody who is somewhat financially independent. I'm allowed to say this because I've been through all of this, alhamdulillah. It is important that our scholars are independent from people that are financing them, especially from governments, but that's another point. That's another point altogether. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> okay. It is important that our scholars are independent of institutions that can dictate what they say. Because what happens when that's not the case? We see what happens. We see what happens. Right? So what the Oqaf have done has preserved a legacy 
of fierce independent scholarship and attracted the best and brightest minds. Anyway, all of that was not a part of my notes. It's just off the top of my head. Why? Because awqaf is something our religion instituted. And this is one of those a hadith. Now, our Prophet ﷺ explicitly allowed Sa'ad to open a waqf for his uh, mother. It appears Sa'ad loved his mother so much he wasn't even satisfied with this because we have another hadith in Sunan Abi Dawood that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah came back to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, what is the best sadaqah that I can give for my mother? He's already given an entire garden. Now he's coming again. He's saying, Ya Rasulullah, what is the best sadaqah I can give for my mother? So the Prophet said, Bi'ir, well, Bi'ruma, a well of water, a well of water. And so the Prophet, uh, sorry, Sa'ad paid some money to dig a well and he said this is the well for Umm Sa'd and he dedicated it to Umm Sa'd this hadith is in Abu Dawood now this also shows us that one of the things that we should do for the deceased and I always say this when uh, I visit any family who has had a deceased I say look one of the first things you guys should do and this is my advice to all of us the family members of the deceased should come together and pool their resources and do a sadaqah jariya in the name of the deceased this is something we learn straight from the books of hadith, straight from the seerah. Sa'ad is saying, Ya Rasulullah, what can I do? Here's my garden for my mother. Here's a well for my mother. He's gifting these things to his mother. Sadaqah jariya for the deceased. Build an orphanage if you can afford it. Or build a school. Alhamdulillah, we have some projects. I'm in charge of them. Yani for modest amounts, you can build an entire school in the name of somebody or not. Or a few thousand dollars will get you a well. These are affordable for most of us over here. If families come together, 10, 15, 20 of the relatives come together. Everyone pays 50, 500. And guess what? We have enough to do something of significance and value. And we say, this is the well of Umm Sa'ad. He said, this is the well of Umm Sa'ad. He named it after her. He dedicated it to her. No problem to put your name or whatnot and this is something again no problem this is the 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 charity given in the name of so and so he announced it in our days we'll put a plaque on it this is the well for the deceased so and so sadaqah going to them so this is something that is explicitly mentioned sadaqah that is given on behalf of the uh, deceased number uh the time is getting late here let me pause here then because the time is getting late and then we'll continue inshallah next week uh, and because it is a continuous lecture I don't see the point in Q&A right now because all the questions you're going to have maybe some of them will be answered now we're going to do the other few that are mentioned in the hadith and then inshallah also talk about those that are not mentioned such as reading Quran which is not mentioned that's the big controversy and whatnot. So this we mention, inshallah ta'ala, next week. So inshallah, with this, we pause for this week. We'll continue this uh, lecture next week. Jazakumullah uh, khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. لا يزال الخير حيا لا يزال إن في الدنيا سلاما واضلال أخبر الأيام أنها في وصال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال